I'm Wayne Rubin, and I want to welcome you to the podcast, Hard Yards in Leadership, where we explore the tough leadership challenges experienced by successful leaders along their journey. I hope hearing their stories will help you predict, prepare, and survive the inevitable challenges you will face on your leadership journey. Let's get into it. G'day, folks, and welcome to this episode of Hard Yards in Leadership. And today, my guest is Jonathan or Jono Peatfield. Jono's did his early years in big corporate, as many of us do, and then he turned his talents to the not-for-profit sector. And today, he's the CEO of LifeEd New South Wales and ACT, where he and his devoted team of around 80 folks are busy delivering health and wellbeing programs to about 280,000 children across the state. And I couldn't think of someone better for a crucial role like this. As you'll see, Jono has this extraordinary positive energy, which he radiates to those around him. But Jono's had his fair share of hard yards too, both personally and professionally. And I was so appreciative of his willingness to be just so open in sharing those. In today's episode, Jono's going to talk a little bit about what happened the first time he had to lead people. And we all think back to those difficult times. And in his first instance, he had a bunch of people who'd been there a lot longer than him and were pretty open about the fact they did not want to be led by him. He talks about the surprising result he had after having to call someone out for stealing and just how difficult is that for everyone. And, and you're going to enjoy that story. And then, and then he talks about how he struggled even more when he had to, had to make someone redundant. None of us like doing that, right? And they took it really personally. He talks about the hard and messy time he had letting someone go whose values didn't align, the subject that often comes up in, in, in our podcast. And as he reflects, he shares how he didn't think he handled it the best way he could have. You're going to see Jono as one of those extraordinary sort of down-to-earth characters who delivers his wisdom in an easy and authentic manner that makes him very easy to listen to and instantly likable. I'm sure you're going to love this episode. So without any further ado, let's get right on into it. Hey, welcome, Jono. Thanks, Wayne. Awesome to be here and really appreciate uh, you getting me on. I'm excited. Fantastic. So, Jono, you know the whole the whole story of, uh, of Hard Yards and Leadership. We, we love to kind of explore different, different aspects of people's leadership journey. And to get going, maybe you can take us back to the first time in your life when someone essentially said, you know, you're in a leadership role. Do you remember when that was and what happened? Yeah, Great question. Yeah, it was back. I I was working well in my working life. Uh, I, I started in in the hardware sector, and I was selling nails and screws. I was a sales rep on the road, and the regional manager at the time asked me to take on the management of two kind of independent colleagues who were contractors to our business, and they were in far north Queensland. So I actually left Canberra packed up the, the car with my minimal belongings and drove up and lived on the Sunshine Coast for 12 months and dipped my toe in the water. But I, I suppose prior to that, I was lucky enough to have some opportunities to lead at, at school and then at university. And it's something I enjoyed doing in sporting arenas and, and other. Yeah, it was, it was something I enjoyed doing, but probably wasn't until I got to the workforce that I thought that it's something I really wanted to do and do more of. So, it's, yeah, it's been a nice evolution. But, yeah, up in far north Queensland, travelling around, uh, working with some contractors was who, who'd been there for a long time, running their own businesses, and I was only 25, I think, at the time, and trying to work with them on sales technique and selling our product and all the rest. So, you know, 
teaching people how to suck eggs comes to mind. And so it was a good good learning curve for me. It's so interesting how often people talk about that first leadership experience and having people who are radically more experienced in whatever the role is and having to kind of work out how do you lead people who A, probably don't particularly want to be led and, and B, recognise just how raw you are compared to them. So how did you go? How did it work? <laughs> that was certainly the case. It was just an awesome learning experience. So my, thankfully, I was in an organisation that was really a company was called Otter Group. It's changed since, but it was it had a really good ethos, great values, really good management and leadership team. And my manager Rod Brand supported me a lot and would come up and and work with me on it. And essentially. It was small wins. All we wanted was some very small wins. So they were running their own businesses. So I wasn't there to, you know, shift that. I was there to help them prioritize, focus, and learn about how they could increase their sales through our product. And by providing them more knowledge and training and support than they'd had before. So it worked in that capacity in that when we gave them the attention and the support and the learning and development of our products, they got better sales, improved their income. So there was a, a nice relationship there, but I was really keen. And, you know, far north Queensland's a pretty cool, relaxed, chilled out place. So I really had to temper my keenness, respect their, you know, life skills and business acumen and stuff, and just try and subtly make some small changes. And yeah, it, it worked. We got some good results there. And the the biggest thing was it was a great stepping stone for me into a leadership journey that I was being paid to do for the first time. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned that you had your manager at the time was was a great role model. Tell us a bit about that because I guess we often hear from people about how they learn their leadership skills kind of in their first role and people often talk about role models and sometimes it's kind of like positive role model and sometimes it's a negative role model but it sounds like you had a pretty positive one. Yeah, I probably had three in that first job. And I'd say, you know, my first leadership role models were were mum and dad, for sure. They, you know, teach me work ethic and mm. the value of things and I got a lot from them, but focusing specifically around the, the work piece. So, our CEO at the time, George, was a, a really good high energy leader and he had this mantra, which I loved, which was excite and delight. So, in every interaction that our company and brand and you are involved in, you want to leave that customer excited and delighted. Nice. And what do you need to do to get that done? And that was sort of fed down from the top. And then the national sales and marketing manager, a gent, Paul Bilston, had worked at Mars for ages and then come across into the hardware sector. And he was just a stickler for the sales process and just drummed it into you. And we'd do monthly sales meetings and pull everyone off the road and big chunk of that time was role-playing, features, benefits, objections, and then into role-playing, which is, you know, a lot of people find really uncomfortable is, mm. you know, performing your work task in front of your colleagues mm. is really hard. Yeah. But he just drummed it into us. And, and I remember as I started that journey, he'd ring me at the end of every week and be like, what have you learned? What did you set out to achieve? Did you achieve it? And what are you going to do differently? And I used to dread it. Like quite often it'd be 5, 5.30 in the afternoon and I was 25. I was going out wanting to go and have a few beers. And he'd ring me in. And if I didn't answer the question, he'd just keep asking it. Yeah. And <laughs> it's so good. And I, I, it was just such a great way of him reinforcing, you know, if, if you do that 
for a couple of weeks, all of a sudden I'm there going, all right, well, I better figure out what I'm learning yeah. and track that and be conscious of it so that I've got those answers because I can't make it up. He just saw straight through it. So he set this awesome tone and really drove, and especially in the hardware sector, which was probably a bit behind the, the times back then, it certainly caught up. But he really drove this, you know, you follow the sales process you do the right things, you know, the CEO's going excited and delight, you'll get the results. Mm-hmm. And then my direct manager, Rod, was just really supportive but would question you and wouldn't problem solve for you, he'd problem solve with you. And that concept of coaching was the, probably the first time I'd had really good coaches where they'd never give me an answer. They'd set me a challenge that was a stretch or they'd guide me through something They'd always, they'd never let me fall over, but they'd make me figure it out for yeah. myself. So that was, yeah, really powerful. And uh, I mean, you know, you, you learn a lot of your lessons from your first few managers and I've certainly kept a lot of that with me. I didn't have a bad manager during that period and I know a lot of people learn what not to do from bad managers. Yes. So I was super yeah. Yeah. lucky that yeah. I had these three kind of really cool people who did different things, but collectively gave me a really good grounding. Nice, nice. And, of course, Jono, when you run a podcast called Hard Yards in Leadership, you, you know it's only a matter of time before we kind of get in and, and, and ask some of those questions. So I want you to think back to kind of some of those early days in, in, in your leadership time and maybe share something that, that you attempted to steer through that maybe didn't quite go exactly to plan. And If you, if you can think of something, please share. Yeah, there's... <clears throat> Probably inadvertently so, you know, after I I started that early leadership journey and I was lucky enough to sort of manage New South Wales Queensland teams, one of the things was that managing people who are significantly older and have far more experience and have been managers themselves and are now taking a back seat because they want to, you know, reduce their workload and stuff. So understanding, I think one of the hardest things for me especially as a younger manager, an inexperienced manager, should I say, was wanting to change things really quickly and go at a be gung-ho. And the national manager had given me the book Gung-Ho by Eric Blanchard, which I, I love. I'm not sure if you've read it, but it talks about spirit of the squirrel, way of the beaver and gift of the goose, which is sort of this organizational structure. It's such a simple concept of how to lead people in an organization through change reflecting back on nature and I'd highly recommend people read it super simple really easy read but just such great basics but for me it was how do I implement some of those things with a group of people who know far more than I do and accept that along the way I'm going to get it wrong or then may not appreciate it or enjoy it and I think the biggest challenge I had early on was those difficult conversations so I had to make um, I had to basically call someone out for stealing and then I had to make someone redundant and the person I made redundant thought it was a direct correlation to their performance, which it wasn't. It was a business decision. And going through that, I found it really challenging because I'm quite a positive person and like, I like to have other people feel good and, and be enjoying themselves when I'm around them. So to be having these really direct conversations with people and having them in tears or, you know, feeling really vulnerable when you're essentially calling someone's lack of value alignment out 
that was a really hard lesson. But what it did, the other side, I was like, whoa, all right, I can do that. I didn't nail it. It was hard, but we got there and the person I called out ended up doing exceptionally well. And it was a moment of, you know, and I sort of, I remember saying to them, you know, you can go away and think that I'm calling you out and, and hate me for this and you're nothing will change, you'll probably end up leaving. Or you can double down and go, yep, I made a mistake. I'm going to make it back up to you. And and they did. And they ended up doing exceptionally taking on leadership roles and stuff. So that was, yeah, a, a really hard piece was those first couple of really challenging conversations. And do you remember, like, if you th- think of any one particular one, how did you feel kind of building up to the conversation? Because I know so often when I talk to people who listen to this podcast, that's the sort of stuff that they kind of go, oh, I just – I just get cold sweats and just all of this terrible stuff. Like, do you remember some of your, the feelings that kind of yeah, went it, through? It was, it was gut wrenching. Like, I hated it. I hated it. I still do. Like, you know, I've, I've had a, a, a hundred of those conversations. On, no, I haven't. Sorry, I'll correct that. I've had enough of those conversations since. One of the things I was had leadership training with my team this morning. We were talking about is having those difficult decisions and. And what we, we're trying to focus on is values-based leadership. So, and that shifts how that conversation goes and how you feel about it. So when something's a performance issue, I look at it and go, all right, well, this organization's hired an individual thinking they've got a, a skill set that will fit and work and either we've made the wrong decision because that skill set wasn't there, that's on us, or We've allowed that person to join the organization and they're not provided the training development along the way. And they might have been here for five or 10 or 20. In our case at LifeHead, we've had employees for 30 years. So if we haven't enabled them to learn, grow and develop along the way, that's the organization's problem. And, and it's up to us to coach, lead, train, develop, whatever it might be, and give them all the opportunity in the world to get to where we expect them to be. If along that journey, they make a decision that they don't want to do that or they can't do it or they don't believe that there's a, a, a challenge, that becomes a values piece. Or if someone you know, does something against whatever your organization breaches those values, and I said to the team this morning, it's like you will generally know because your gut, you'll go, oh, hang on, that didn't feel right, sound right, look right. When that happens, that's a values piece. Now, it's really hard to performance manage values but people will then have to make a choice. Am I on board with the values or not? And if they're not, that's when you go down the path of going, right, this isn't going to work. Yeah. So taking that approach has made these decisions a lot easier and also working for a not-for-profit, it's slightly different because I know that if I have to have a difficult conversation, the outcome should be a positive one, which means we in turn affect our or can implement our, our mission and our vision, which is – you know, to empower kids through education to lead safe and healthy lives. So every time that those, I just look at that and go, if we get this right, if I have this difficult conversation, we get a step close to achieving that mission. And that's a higher responsibility than what I might feel about a challenging conversation, but it does not make it any easier. (laughs) Still feels ordinary. (laughs) But I love the way that you framed that, Jono, because, you know, we get so much feedback from from people who listen to the podcast, particularly around kind of performance management and hire and fire kind of decisions, especially the fire ones. 
redundancies, all of those sorts of things, you know, serious performance management and just how difficult people find it to have those conversations, rightfully so, because they're difficult conversations, right? You know, that's what that's why we call them that. And and you know, we can we can have done, if not hundreds, a lot <laughs> of of these sorts of conversations and we still find them difficult. But I really love what you shared in terms of kind of just reminding yourself about the values of the organization and why why we do this. And you're in the not-for-profit sector, so that instantly kind of brings you to a noble cause. But obviously, you know, in just about any situation as a leader, if we have some deeper affinity to the purpose of the organisation, sometimes we call it the mission, and just remind ourselves that, you know, where we have a responsibility to the organisation to, you know, help make that happen and also to justify, to enable sustainable employment for the, for the broader mass and sometimes that means having to make hard decisions around individuals, right? Yeah, and, and that puts it into perspective. It doesn't justify it. it. It doesn't make it right or wrong. It just puts it into perspective. And I, I find whenever you've got that perspective, those difficult conversations or when then, you know, unions get involved or there's performance management or there's an awkward exchange, if you've got that perspective going into it, then you can kind of be true to yourself, be true to the organisation, be true to the mission, and it's your obligation to follow through with it. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, yeah. we've had some really challenging scenarios where you kind of rip the Band-Aid off and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, no, what have I done here? Like, this is going way worse than I anticipated. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I kind of just want to back out and pretend it never happened, but then you're just perpetuating the problem and essentially – leaving it for someone else and you know there's a, a great saying in in sport is you know you, you never pass shit on so if you get a bad pass in footy or rugby or soccer or netball you don't immediately just offload that to make it someone else's problem and if you don't deal with these difficult situations that's essentially what you're doing you're offloading it for someone else and you're alluding there to some things that have obviously happened i'm, I'm going to hand you the ticket to maybe unpack one of those stories because I think that's the sort of stuff that that people love to hear about is, you know, when you go in, you do as exactly as you said, you rip the Band-Aid off and then all manner of other things kind of, you know, surface out. And, you know, when, when we talk about the concept of hard yards, sometimes they're some of the hardest yards, right? Share one. Yeah. I'm just, I just want to frame it so that it's obviously – I've worked in small, small organisations, so I don't want anyone to feel associated with it. But a classic example over the, the past five years has been where entered into a performance management conversation with someone and the minute we started scratching the surface and a fantastic person, like loved them dearly and enjoyed hanging out with them, the correlation between that and then the performance in the workplace just wasn't there. And we'd done some work around sort of disc profiling and EQ profiling and stuff. And there was a clearly challenge there that hasn't hadn't been addressed, a personal challenge. So as we got into that conversation, it pretty quickly unraveled that there was a serious mental health challenge behind it. And this person was, you know, going a million miles an hour feeling completely out of their depth, masking it, but had some serious well-being challenges they had to, to work through behind the scenes. So at that point, you're like, oh, geez, have I just made this person's life even worse? And, you know, you sit back and, and sort of have to reflect on that. And 
what I had to sort of come to the realisation of and, and work through with the organisation is that if we keep doing what we've been doing, it's going to get worse. And unfortunately, we're going to have to deal with this now and that person's going to have to deal with some of this and we're going to have to support them to go through it. And it meant parting ways and, and this job was the life, the, the person's life, like they lived and breathed it but just couldn't transition from a, a certain role into a management role. It just wasn't their thing. And, and so often I think we make that mistake where someone who's good at their job gets elevated into management but aren't necessarily good at management, lose their mojo and then don't really know where to go and, and that's a really hard piece and, and I certainly learned that the hard way through that experience. But what we did is help this person transition out, gave them as much support, references, etc and worked with them to find other employment. And, and I caught up with them a, a year or two later and they acknowledged that they just didn't realise where they were and that that change had to happen and sometimes it has to be forced on you. But ultimately, you know, as hard as it was to have those conversations, we knew as an organisation that it was for the betterment of the organisation, which was our responsibility and our higher purpose. But we weren't going to let them burn them as part of it. So managing both those expectations and ultimately we're dealing with people. So you've got to respect and and, and be empathetic and support people where they're comfortable receiving it and want to. That's a really important part of it too, I, I think. Yeah. It's such a common topic that comes up, exactly what you just described, which is this situation where someone's done well as an individual contributor and then it sort of comes to pass one way or another that they end up in a leadership role. For a lot of people, I think it's kind of the expected career progression and sometimes organisations don't know what to do with people. So it's kind of like you're doing well, we better promote you. And then they turn out to be somewhere between not particularly successful and maybe even a disaster in a leadership role because they're relying on a or suddenly trying to rely on a whole series of skills that they don't actually have having come off the you know, an extended period of relying on a whole series of skills that they had very highly developed that they were using in their individual in the individual role. I'm just going to play with that space a little bit because you've obviously seen that a few times. I mean, what's your advice to younger leaders who are looking at, at people coming up who kind of have that sense of, oh, my next role's got to be in leadership and whatever, and how, how do we make sure that we just stop that happening? Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a million-dollar question, isn't it? Yeah, look, I think putting a clear distinction between your success in a role or at a job or at a task and your ability to work with people. And those two things don't have to correlate. Likewise, and we said this this morning again in our leadership team, like the, the, the four people we're talking to, they're not necessarily the best educators at life education. They're not the best at what they do. In some circumstances, they were, but they've been chosen because they align with a set of leadership traits which we value and we want others to value and understand. So the value's the right place. Do they work well with people? And I think the easiest way when some people it's obvious, you know, you, you go, all right, th this person naturally leads. And I think that's a misconception in organisations that you have to be in a have a title to be the leader. But across Life Ed, there's so many people who lead 
our experience or lead and drive energy or, you know, the, the fun creators. And they'd lead the organization through what they do, not their title and their position. Mm. So that is worth acknowledging. And we've created a bunch of roles to fit people's ability to lead in a certain area, not necessarily lead people. So, you know, culture champions. We've got two people who are the smart Alex of the team and, and they drive a whole bunch of initiatives. They do dress-up days. They create wellness competitions and stuff. So they have allow the team to have fun in a structured way and identifying that. We're not necessarily saying, hey, you need to manage a team of 30 people. We're just saying you can take responsibility to lead this initiative. So I think sometimes testing, allowing people to test that, giving them a project or getting to lead something and see how they go with it and sitting down and having those conversations with people who are ambitious, but you think, all right, well, maybe leadership isn't where they're going. What is something else? How can I give them responsibility, ownership and leadership, but it doesn't have to be with people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think... You know, all of that relies on an ability of a leader to be able to just get to know someone, doesn't it? And that's where kind of curiosity is just so powerful too, isn't it? Just like not just assuming you know what someone's drivers are and what they're kind of what what they're motivated by and all that sort of stuff. Just actually having those open conversations and like just working out what someone's drivers are. Because otherwise I think sometimes in, in organizations we end up channeling people towards something because we think that's what they want and they end up wanting it because they think that's what the organisation expects them to want. And at some point, everyone looks around and goes, why are we doing this? No one really yeah. knows. <laughs> well, yeah, and also they think that's just the natural progression. That, all right, well, yeah, as I think you alluded to before, it's like I have to become a manager. But I think we're, yeah, progressively working out that there's many forms of leadership and, and that can be driving projects, it can be driving, you know, key cultural initiatives, it can be running strategy, it can be overseeing, you know, key strategic priorities for an organisation. And sometimes it's just bringing people into a, a different group where they get access to more information or they feel like they've got a bigger say or asking them for more input is really valuable. But, yeah, I think having that conversation, you know, one of the things we did today in our session was across the five of the team had to share a strength and a development opportunity for each other and they had to do it for the other four team members. And it was awesome listening to the passion and respect and enthusiasm they had for each other and then shifting into that feedback point of actually this is something I'm concerned about or I think you need to really focus on and watching it as they you know progressed through each of the people getting more confident in being able to say it rather than mumble through it was just really fascinating. So allowing ourselves to provide that feedback and have those open conversations is so crazy. And it just reinforced to me that I'm not doing enough of it and I want to do more of that really good coaching and feedback and how do we embed that in everyday practice because it's hard when everything's happening to think and stop and go, all right, let's share success and let's encourage people on identify development areas so that they can have a chance to work on it. Nice. You're listening to Hard Yards in Leadership, where leaders share the stories of their hardest yards in their leadership journeys. 
I hope every leader who hears these stories recognises that the things that they find hard are the same things that the rest of us leaders find hard too. It's my dream that every leader finds the joy in leading. It will help you be a happier person, a better leader for your business, and a better leader for those that you lead. If you like the show, please subscribe, drop us a review, and most importantly, share to others who may benefit from it too. Now back to the show. Now, because I have this obsession with like hunting down hard yards, right? So you you mentioned something earlier and, and we didn't pick up the hook. You talked about a situation where I think it was still quite early in your career when um, you had someone who, who had realised we're stealing from the organisation. And again, you know, it's interesting because, you know, t- again, talking to, you know, folks who listen to the podcast, people, some people will say, oh, I find it a lot easier if, if someone's done something terrible and I have to kind of go and do the, the deed. And others will say, it doesn't matter what the circumstance, it's just, it's just as hard. But it's also, I think, it's interesting to hear stories of when people have, when leaders have identified and got to the point of being so convinced that, like, know a wrongful act had happened that it it drives you to initiate a separation and I wonder if you could kind of share you know the the story that that you had and I I guess you were a younger leader at the time right Mm. yeah much much younger and another boss of mine picked it up through expense claims and stuff and basically sent me all the info and was like how do you want to deal with this I was like, oh, maybe you deal with it. <laughs> was my first reaction. <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like, no, mate, this is part and parcel. This is part of the role. And we, we talked through it and, and stuff. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, you spoke about like sweating and like, oh, I hated it. Leading up and sitting down and I was like, all right, I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid off and go straight into it. And the person just froze kind of. But to their credit, didn't deny it, didn't fight, didn't argue, which takes a lot of courage because the fight or flight kicks in and that they didn't try and deny it and lie and dig a bigger hole. And and that to me was to turn it. So after five minutes, I was like, all right, I'm not needing to debate and fight this. So we've that there is a, a really good outcome that we can achieve and – yeah, it, it, I didn't enjoy it one bit and, yeah, we had this conversation and basically the person said, yep, all right, I did do that. And it wasn't terrible. It wasn't terrible. Like it was a – they'd made a mistake and they'd been devious but it wasn't outlandish. But it's one of those things that you let slide and it's gone or you call it out early and thankfully we just sort of said, well, where, where do we go from here? What happens? And he made a commitment and said, look, I'm going to make it up to you. I really respect that, you know, you gave me a, a chance at this job. I don't want to throw that away. I've made a, a, a mistake and, and I'm really sorry for that. And I think it was just an awakening of that maybe a bit of entitlement had crept in to the person's thinking. And yeah, to their, their credit, they just went, all right, I'm going to make it back to you. And they did. They really showed up the next few weeks and doubled down. And unfortunately, I've had the complete reverse where there was just a really bad cultural alignment and we went in to support the management of an organisation and this kind of misalignment around culture and values had been happening over a long period of time to the point where as we started to broach and talk about some of these things, 
there was no light bulb moment. There was no, okay, I can accept this. It was just all pushback. And because a lot of it was values-based, it was really challenging because it's really hard to prove values misalignment. And the, the person was actually doing quite a good job at what they were supposed to be doing, but just creating havoc, which I don't think they understood. And so that was really hard and then it got really messy and it became a really challenging scenario where we had to be really black and white and say these are the things and then, you know, other groups got involved and it became, you know, essentially a he said, she said scenario but so many learnings around, you know, the role of a board, um, the role of management, you know, really, if you're going to do values-based leadership, you've got to do it and you've got to start with it early, you know, having policies and practices in place so that you can document things, not to catch people out, but to make sure that the truth is represented and there's consistency. And when all of that stuff isn't there, and it is essentially, well, this is what I think, this is what you think. And we, we didn't want to bring out all the mud because it wasn't going to help that person. So going through the list that we thought was, you know, not acceptable wasn't helping anybody. And we were just going to end up getting deeper and deeper into a fight. So that, that yeah, that wasn't, a, wasn't an enjoyable scenario. And we didn't really resolve it, to be perfectly honest. We parted ways, but it wasn't, it wasn't resolved. And... Yeah, it, it's something I wish we could have been able to do better, but sometimes there's just a lack of acceptance and you got to move on. Yeah, I, okay, I agree completely and it kind of brings back a stack of stories from, from kind of my travels through the corporate world, which I'm not necessarily going to delve into, and I'm sure listeners will be relieved to hear that. But when you sort of said, you know, it wasn't really resolved, I think one of the things that challenges us most with these things is if you put evidence of something on the table at whatever level of wrongdoing it is and someone basically says, yeah, well, you know, I did and, you know, I shouldn't have and whatever else, it makes it so much easier for everyone. When when people start to essentially push back and go, no, that didn't happen and and you got all of the evidence so you know that it did, you also know that it's very challenging to outright say you definitely did, you know, because that kind of introduces you you. we become judge and juror at that at that point, but you just step into essentially what's a world of pain at that point, and there are no winners. The, the The person you're dealing with who's refusing to kind of accept, they often end up having a whole lot more pain themselves than than, than they needed to, and everyone around becomes aware of kind of you know what what a mess is going on over there and you know because it's a a fool's paradise to believe that these things can go on in an organization and that no one's going to find out about it you know as leaders we we try to not you know go and kind of you know wave the dirty laundry around in the hallway but you know the stories do get told right yeah it's that was hard because in the back of my mind the whole time I was like if we can get some alignment and mutual understanding and we can work together and you know again it came back to as an organization we should have done more along the way a lot earlier or people should have identified these things and addressed them a lot earlier so there was a responsibility on the organization to step in but when there was just no give 
it was really hard to see how the future was going to work. And the impact that has on the rest of a team or an organization is seriously hard. And the, the thing that you know we kept pushing through on this is ultimately we cannot say we're a values-driven organization if we don't address this because then when it gets hard, we're bailing out. So, yeah, it just got to a point, but I didn't enjoy it one bit because I was really hoping we could work together on it. And we weren't looking for perfection. We were looking for a slight shift forward. So, yeah, it, it was really hard and not enjoyable at all. Jenna, one of the questions that we often get asked from folks that listen to the podcast when I'm talking to experienced leaders and people who've kind of like, you know, been through a lot in, in their time, people often often ask, you know, can, can you ask them what they still find really hard? You know, because... You know, part of the whole reason of doing this podcast is to kind of share the stuff that, A, that we get wrong, but also the stuff that we still find hard, even if we try and do it to the, you know, what whatever best practice looks like. So let me ask you, at, at, at this stage of your leadership journey, what's some of the stuff that you still kind of find most difficult? <laughs> most of it. <laughs> Great like answer. I, I, I love being able to try and lead and motivate and shift the culture like I really enjoy and I didn't know I would as much as I have joining and you know taking on a I never aspired to be a CEO so to speak and I've really enjoyed it the hardest thing is remembering to do it every day yeah and that sounds ridiculous it's like you know you can wake up and you go through the motions in the morning. I've got a couple of young kids, so you get them off, you drop them at school, and then you, you turn and you're like, all right, how do I try and do the best I can do to support all these other people and lead by example, but also be comfortable going, oh, today is not my day. I am not nailing it today. And that vulnerability is really important. But like just I mentioned we did a leadership training this morning and as I was going through, I was like, oh, geez, I've got to, I've got to start doing a bit more of that and pick up this. So it's just, just remembering to think about it, I think. Uh, like you don't have to be perfect at it. Just remembering to think about the influence you have on others and the impact you have on others and just being conscious of it. And, and you know, that doesn't have to come with a whole heap of pressure. You know, you don't have to get it right. But I think one of the hardest things is just, being conscious and mindful of the position you're in that because that just sometimes escapes you and then you click out of it and go oh hang on yeah I'm running this organization today and tomorrow and the next day so what do I need to do to support them to do it better the other big thing is for me is that I find really hard is seeing the opportunity and having that vision and then bridging the gap and and helping the team get there and inspiring and motivating to go there is a really good future ahead and we've got the answers we just need to work together so it's that change management like I don't know that change management will ever be easy and you know I think I'm very lucky that I've got an organization that's really open to it and really you know in not-for-profit we really want to achieve everyone really wants to get there but that balance of applying the pressure and the stress to the right level without breaking anyone, but making sure we keep moving ahead towards what we can see as a really good future. 
And when we get there, we need to celebrate it. That can be hard, but inevitably it'll be reset and there'll be in another future. So, yeah, managing that progress, celebration, and just being mindful that you're leading each day, that that's pretty hard. Yeah, that the the twenty four sevenness of it all, I think, is one of the greatest challenges that that I think newer leaders find surprising, and more experienced leaders know is part of that constant challenge. You know, like exactly like you say, you, you can't work on the basis of four days out of five. I'm going to front up in the right state of mind. It's it, it doesn't work. You know, you, you, and you know we're remarkably visible. To everyone around us. I remember one of my early jobs, the CEO at the time was a relatively moody guy. And when he was in a good mood, which was most of the time, he was a great guy. And when he was in a bad mood, well, suffice to say he wasn't. But when he parked in the car park, which you could see from the, where the offices were, and then walk up the stairs and then walk down the corridor. And I'm sure he didn't know, but essentially the people who's glass-fronted offices were closest to where the stairwell met the corridor would essentially like recognize the look on his face if he was in a bad mood and by the time you got to his office at the other end of the corridor everyone already knew like like the boss yeah, is in a bad yeah. mood today and he hadn't done anything <laughs> like he just kind of had that kind of like bit of a black look on his face but it's you know, the simple reality is when you're not in a leadership role you can have bad days and they kind of get forgotten you can kind of hide a little bit when you when you're in a leadership role. You kind of just don't have that privilege. People are watching you a lot more carefully than you realise they are. Yeah. Even when you're not on, you know, you're just there. And it happens with video calls too. You know, you click into a video call that for a meeting that hasn't started yet, and you you catch a look on someone's face and go, uh oh. <laughs> it's so like, and that the, the body language piece is massive, and setting the tone for the organization and you it's so true like that one person can just ruin a vibe yeah. of a room and often not intentionally and i think there's a role in calling that out respectfully but just being mindful of that like your, your mood will then have a really big knock-on effect one of the big things i try to be really conscious of which i, I find sort of weird to say but i've sort of never had you know massive sporting stars or or people I'm like oh geez the the you know I'll get down and bow so I've I just sort of never had these big people who sports or music stars or whatever that so I just sort of try to see everyone just as as they are but forget that you know this hierarchical piece has been drummed into a lot of people that, you know, someone who's got a certain position is meant to be especially gifted or far better than anybody else, which I don't buy into. So I'm constantly reminding myself, like, uh, if I reach out to a team member that just because that's how I feel and, you know, if in previous organisations CEO reached out to me, yeah, there might be a little bit of nerves, but I'm like, oh, that's cool, I get to have a, a chat or, or whatever. But some people get really nervous and with without trying to sound arrogant it's just like unfortunately you know if i didn't have the ceo title there then that would be they wouldn't care it'd just be a conversation but purely just because of that all of a sudden it, it they're in a different and, and it's this dynamic power dynamic which i need to try and remind myself of because it's not something i think about 
So I've quite often said, hey, I want to come you know, to one of our educators who's out running the Healthy Harold program. I want to come watch you in the van. That hadn't really happened with previous leaders. So they go, oh, hang on, what have I done? Is that, whereas I'm just like, hey, I just want to come and see a program. Like I really want to see what you're doing and hang out and learn. And they're just like – and it took me a little while to realise that influence, which has been kind of force-fed into people – it wasn't something I kind of thought about. So, yeah, that's been a real challenge for me because I'm just like, you know, I, I just want to be myself and have fun and enjoy work and, you know, I want to get stuff done. Like I really want to shift things, but I am who I am. I'm not changing. I don't put a manager voice on, but I've got to remember that not everyone looks at it that way. Yeah, yeah. It's a great point and a great learn. We're at the stage of the uh, of the program where I have a – a little question that I always ask guests and, and it's it's kind of as we start to wrap up. So so the, the, here's the scenario, Jono. I um, want you to think of the a, a regular spot where, where you work and there's probably a wall or something like that you look up and you can see. And so for this game, I'm going to give you a, a tin of paint and a paintbrush and you get the opportunity to write some words that are going to be there every time you look up. What do you write? Have a go. Nice. Yeah, have a go. I was lucky enough to go back and speak at my old school and that was my core message, just like, have a go. You can only learn from doing something. You know, the, the failure piece is just a learning. You, you don't set out to fail, you set out to learn. And the more good and bad experiences that you've got, the better off you are. No matter, you know, uh, you know everything's relative. So if you're willing to take a learning from the things that are really hard or that you don't think you get right, then you're far better off than just cruising through doing what's safe. So have a go and and get, yeah, have a go. Lovely. Awesome. It's a great learn. Where can people find you these days if if, uh, folks want to kind of reach out to you or, you know, just kind of catch up with what you're doing? What's the best way for them to do that? Oh, good question. I'm not big on social media. So probably LinkedIn is, is my preferred. So I'm John o. Peatfield on LinkedIn, or they're happy to flick me an email, to be perfectly honest, uh, jpeatfield at lifeed.org.au or reach out to Life Education, Healthy Harold, New South Wales, and they can find me through there. But I actually live in Armidale, so I, I'm a remote manager. Uh, we do a team catch-up for a couple of days, everyone in in the office in, in Sydney, but outside of that, it's, it's remote work. So, nice. yeah, it's very lucky and... You know, we've, we've got a fantastic team that allow that to happen, but also drive the, the, the change that we're aspiring to see. And, and to that purpose, kind of off, off the core of the, the, the podcast, but, but John, I, like, let's just take this opportunity. There's probably a bunch of people who are listening to this and learning from your, from your leadership experience, but don't know about, you know, Life Ed and the, and the, the purpose of, of the organization that you lead. So, you know, why don't you just take a moment and, and, and and share that story too. Awesome. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, so most people will know Life Ed as Healthy Harold. I'm lucky enough to run the New South Wales ACT affiliates. So we're a federated structure and essentially we're trying to help kids thrive. So we run programs from three to 13-year-olds around nutrition, physical activity, more recently, you know, drug and alcohol, but vaping, Cyber safety is a big thing. Respectful relationships is some new content which we're we're working through, and we go into 
early learning centres and primary schools and provide a really engaging, thought-provoking program that's backed up by a whole bunch of teacher and parent resources to help kids make safer and, and better, healthier decisions into the future. And that's ultimately it is if we can equip young kids with the knowledge, the awareness and the skills to make really good life decisions, we're setting them up for success. And that's why we exist. We want every child to thrive. So yeah, we are accessible all across the state. Uh, If you've got a school or you're a parent and you think this could be something or you remember it from your childhood and you want your child to have the same experience, please reach out, have a chat to your school, your early learning centre. We'll we'll be there. We're keen to come and support. Awesome. And uh, we all appreciate the work that you and the team do. You know, there's so much so much good work that goes on as we try and help people later in life fix problems they've got. But the better job we do of equipping kids, you know, when they're young and steering them in the early days of their journey, the less problems they're ever going to have, you know, later in life. And it's uh, organisations like, like yours that uh, that make a huge difference. Uh, John, it's been amazing having you on. I've loved listening to you, learning from you, and uh, and also, of course, you know, hearing about the the work of of your organisation. It's a great privilege and thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you, Wayne. I really appreciate your time and um, hopefully it made sense to anyone listening. I've really enjoyed being able to discuss and share some stories. So, yeah, thank you for your time and for doing this podcast. I reckon it's such a great initiative just for for people who are starting out all well into their leadership journey to hear from others because it can be a lonely space, but the more that people got access to this type of info and and hear from you and and others is really empowering so thank you nice thank you thanks for listening to another incredible episode where successful leaders share their hardest yards if you enjoyed it don't forget to let people know by sharing the episode around and rating and reviewing the podcast on the platform you listen on feel free to join our online community on linkedin You can find the link in our show notes. I look forward to seeing you next week. Meanwhile, keep learning, find the joy in what you do, and keep believing in yourself as a leader.